Remain standing. Take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Romans chapter number 8. What, a, what an amazing service we've had thus far. The singing's been phenomenal. I appreciate Brother Roth and Sister Roth. I hadn't heard that song in a long time. I leaned over Brother Leader. I said, that's what I'm talking about right there. That's that good stuff. That's kind of music I grew up on. Amen. That brings back memories back in the day. Uh, that's church music. You can have as modern day church music. I, they don't do nothing for me. In fact, it gets on my nerves, to be honest with you. But that's good stuff. And I appreciate all that God's done tonight. Uh, have y'all, are y'all in a hurry? Good. Good. I mean, I wasn't going to cut the message short. I'm just trying to appear like I'm sympathetic. You got padded pews, air conditioners on. It's early. Yeah. yeah. No rush. It's preaching time. Amen. We're in Romans 8. For the sake of time, we're just going to read a couple of verses. Verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Skip down to verse number 25. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. We're going to finish up tonight what we started this morning on while we wait. Father, we pray that you'd bless the word of God tonight. Thank you for what our hearts have already seen and heard. Now bless the preaching, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think you can be seated. I will not recap or repeat this morning's message. I want to just quickly throw the three points at you that we covered in the introduction, and then we'll jump right in to the meat of the message that we did not get to this morning. But I started out the message by saying it's a natural thing for a Christian, for a child of God to anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. We, we, we ought to be looking for him and it's all through the scriptures. And this morning we looked at three reasons why we are looking and waiting and anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first one was the hope that has been promised over and over and over in our text this morning. We looked at the words awaiting and earnest expectation and over and over we find the use of the word hope in verse number 20. And then again, down in verses number 24 and verse 25, there is a hope that has been promised. I'm grateful that we have a, a, a hope of a place, better place, and life beyond the grave. I'm glad this is not all we had to look forward to. Amen, aren't you? So we have a hope that has been promised. And over and over, Jesus talked about heaven, talked about his return, talked about the fact that he's coming back. And we have that hope, and I'm grateful for that. Second thing we looked at this morning was the hold that has been painful. Is another reason why we're looking for Jesus to come back. And we used verse 21 in our text where the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Because verse 22 says, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. We talked about the whole that is on us, our physical body. Uh, uh, our soul's been saved. Our spiritual man has been quickened. But our physical man, our body, our tabernacle, our flesh, the old man, the outer man, all these different words Paul used to describe it. I mean, we're taking a beating each and every day while the flesh is at enmity with God and our, 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 the battle that is warring in our members and our, our, the battle that is raging in our mind, the carnal mind against the things of God. And it's exhausting. And it is something that you and I each and every day should cause us to look for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can be delivered 
delivered from this body, amen, and be able to have that incorruptible body and be able, as the Bible says in verse number 23, we're waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. And then thirdly, we looked at the reason why we're waiting for the return of the Christ and looking for his return is because of the home that has been promised. I'm grateful that he's building me a mansion. And those of us that are saved, we have that to look forward to. I'm grateful for that this evening. But this, this evening, what I'd like to do is I'd like to pivot and go from looking at, as we did this morning, why we are looking for the rapture, why we're looking for Jesus to come back, and look at some reasons, uh, some things that we ought to be doing while we are waiting. If we're not careful, we will not take, make good use of the time that we have been given. I'm grateful for the scripture that gives us all kinds of instructions about some things that we ought to be doing while we are waiting, while we're looking, while we're anticipating his return. So let's look at three or four of these right quick. Number one, while we wait, we should be observing in patience. We should be observing in patience as we look at our text in verse number um, 19 for the earnest expectation of the, of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And then in verse number 25, it says, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And I began to ask myself as I was studying this message, what does it mean to wait patiently? I for one, am not normally a patient person. If you've hung around me very long, you know that. I just don't like wasting time. Amen, it seems like whenever we go to go somewhere, I'm the first one in the car. And I'm waiting for somebody to get in the car. I nearly run over people while they were getting in the car. And when we get where we're going, I'm the first one out. I'm talking about seat belt off and, and, and keys in my pocket and I'm walking across the parking lot and other people still sitting in the car with a seat belt on. I'm like, what are you doing? And I live my life in high gear, just wide open. I don't like delays, I don't like waiting, I don't like it when I don't have a good Wi-Fi signal, I don't like it when I'm put on hold, can I get a witness? I don't like standing in line, I don't like waiting. Patience is not something that comes natural and easy for me, and it's a sign of spirituality, pray for me. But I begin to ask myself, what does it mean to wait patiently? And when the Lord laid this Every Nation project on my heart, I'm thinking, man, I'm looking for Jesus to come back. I believe Jesus could come back right now. And the Lord said, I want you to try to put a missionary in all 100. You said 220 something. I need to get with you about that. I got 195. You must have a bunch of unofficial countries or split offs, huh? Ter territories or whatever. Yeah, we need to get, we need to get, make sure we're all on the same page. I know the Vatican is one. Yeah, we need to send a missionary to the Vatican. That's a country. Did you know that? That's a country, I'm serious. Uh, yeah, that's, but anyhow, um, what was I saying? Oh, so the, so the whole 100, 195 countries, I was like, man, Lord, that's, that's a lot of countries. We were at the time only in 40 something and uh, we had about 90 something missionaries and I think we're in 43, 44 countries and out of the 195, I said, man, we've got a long way to go and we've got a short time to get there. And I was like, boy, I was, I told brother, I told brother leader, I said, we, we gotta start getting these missionaries. We gotta find these countries and we gotta, we gotta, I mean, Jesus is coming back. But when it talks about waiting patiently, I'm thinking to myself, doesn't the Bible say in 2 Timothy 4, 8, that there's a crown of righteousness for those that love his appearing? Well, I want that crown. I'm looking for him to come back. I love his appearing. How can you love his appearing to the point to where you get a crown for it and be patient while you're doing it? 
How does John the Revelator in Revelation 22, 20, when Jesus said, surely I come quickly, amen, and John said, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. How can we say come quickly and wait patiently at the same time? Have I got your attention? Well, I begin to understand that I believe what God's saying is that God has a timetable and it's not ours. Now, if I had my druthers, he'd have come back a long time ago. We would, we would have already been through the marriage supper of the lamb. We'd have already been through the judgment seat and we'd be, we'd be on the other side of this thing if it was up to me, but it ain't up to me. And even though I believe Jesus could come back right now, we don't know when he's coming back. But I believe that God set it up to where he wants his children to anticipate his coming, look for his coming, but while we are looking and while we are waiting and while we're anticipating, we do it with patience. What does that mean? Well, God's not constrained by our impatience. He has a plan and he's been working since creation. He's got a time frame and I think what God wants us to do is let God be God and trust his timing. And don't begin to think that he's not coming. I believe God wants a child of God to wait patiently because impatience breeds sin. While I begin to look up the word impatient, I wanted to get a self-portrait. Here's what the word impatient means in the Webster's 1828. It means uneasy or fretful under suffering, not bearing pain with composure. It says we're all apt to be impatient under wrongs, but it is a Christian's duty not to be impatient in sickness or under any afflictive dispensation of providence. That's Webster's 1828. So as I begin to try to figure out why the Bible says in the book of James, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Patience is a sign of maturity, and I believe God wants us to be mature Christians and look for his return, and love his appearing, and anticipate his coming, and be patient while we're doing it. In other words, the church, we're talking about waiting patiently, the church is not going to be in a state of being uneasy at what's going on in this world. Stay with me now. I've already preached this. God's already preached this to me. Now I'm preaching it to you. Patiently waiting for his return means we're not uneasy. I didn't say we had to like what's going on. And I didn't say we had to be excited about what's going on because I'm not excited about what's going on in this world. The world is falling apart at the seams. We can say it's all falling apart, but actually it's all falling together. And I believe that's kind of what he's wanting us to see. Be patient uh, in our observing. The church is not expressing doubts in the promised return. The worst thing you can do as a Christian is say in a moment of impatience and frustration, well, I just don't believe he's coming back. That's what the scoffers and the mockers do in 2 Peter chapter number 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? It's the scoffers, it's the mockers, it's the unbeliever, it's the unsaved that says Jesus is not coming back. It's just a fairy tale. There's no truth to it. God help us not to have that mindset or that philosophy in our impatience. Well, I just don't believe he's coming. He is coming. You want to know why I know he's coming? Because he said he was. (laughs) And he's never lied about anything. 
He's never misled us about anything. He's never spoken a mistruth one time. If Jesus said, I'm coming back, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I said it this morning in John 14. In my Father's house, I mean, mansions. if it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. If Jesus said it, you can take it to the bank. He's coming back, but he'll come back when he gets good and ready. He'll come back when the Father gives him the nod. Jesus told the disciples, see, the Son of Man knoweth not when he's coming. Even the angels don't know. Did you know if you could somehow or another sneak into heaven tonight? If somehow or another you could sneak into heaven tonight and walk around and ask the angels, say, when's, when's he coming back? They'd say, you gotta ask somebody else. I don't have a clue. I don't know. <laughs> Talking about Patience. Waiting patiently means the church is not fretful under suffering. Which, can I go ahead and just lay this out here? It hadn't really started yet. It hadn't started yet. American Christians, the American church has no idea what suffering is. We don't know. I got a funny, I got a funny feeling we're gonna have a pretty good idea before this is over with. If the Lord tears his coming, Brother Subtle, and the, Bell, and the Bell family was up here singing about I love this land where we can still preach and we can still read our Bible and we can still pray. Days coming when what we're doing right now could very well be illegal in America. Preaching this book could be illegal. Our doctrinal statement could be illegal. Our Christian school could be illegal. Oh, that ain't gonna stop us. We're gonna keep doing it. We're gonna, we're gonna keep preaching. We're gonna keep believing. We're gonna still keep preaching and praying. But that don't mean that there won't be a whole lot of suffering for it's over with. We're gonna find out who's real for this is over with, ain't we? Church is confident. I'm talking about waiting patiently means the church is confident that God's in control and that he's working according to his own plan and his own timetable. Here's another thing. Waiting patiently means the church does not get lazy and go to sleep, allow our lamps to go out while he's tarrying. Yeah, he is tarrying, he's tarrying. Now it's time for you to trim your lamp. Don't let your lamp go out. Take it up a notch. Jesus said it like this in Luke 18, eight. When the son of man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? I believe waiting patiently means Patiently faithful to observe the word of God, the plan of God for the church and still believing God and still trusting God when he returns. I believe that's what he's talking about when he says wait patiently. Wait patiently. Will I find, Jesus said, when the Son of Man cometh, will I find faith on the earth? I was shocked, shocked, appalled, embarrassed, horrified at the lack of faith that I saw in God in 2020. It's unbelievable. And here it is two years later and some people are still scared out of their mind. And Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith? Will there be anybody still believing and trusting in me? Number two, write this down. While we wait, we should be operating in power. You know, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 22, John the Beloved said this, now little children abide in him. Abide in him. What a statement. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence 
and not be ashamed before him at his coming. What a statement. Abide in him. You can't do it. You can't do it without him. Huh? I'm, I'm, just give me a second. I wasn't going to go over here, but I don't want to misquote this. In John 15, Jesus said, I'm the true vine. My father's the husbandman. He said in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine. You're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. We're talking about needing God. We're talking about the importance of abiding in him. We're talking about needing the power of God. In Matthew 28, the verses that we hear preached every year at Missions Conference, and where Jesus said to, to the disciples right before he ascended in Matthew 28, verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I ever command you. And lo, I'm with you all way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. While you're waiting for me, you better make sure that you're being endued with power and that you're operating in the power of the Holy Ghost while you do the work of God. Right. Don't get to the place where you don't think you, need, you don't need God. I say this often, and I hope to goodness y'all don't think I'm just trying to sound spiritual. I hate listening to somebody that's trying to sound spiritual. I've been in church my whole life and fake super spirituality makes me want to puke. I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I'm being honest with you tonight. Never before have I recognized more than now that I need God's power in order to do the work of God. I can't do it. I can't raise children. I can't have a good marriage. I can't have a testimony. I can't help lead and guide this church. I can't run this staff. I can't reach this city. We can't reach the world. We can't do anything in our own power. We need God. And while we wait, we ought to make sure we tap into his power. On the Mount of Olives, just before Jesus was ascending, listen to what he said in Acts 1. We're talking about Connecting this power with the return of Christ. I'm still in the context here. Acts 1, 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. They said, would you tell us what your long-term plan is? When is all this going to take place? He said, don't you worry about what I'm doing. You just better make sure that you fulfill the Great Commission in the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what you need to be focused on. Well, a lot of people are concerned about the timetable and the time frame. If you're not careful, you can get, you can get, you can get, on a, on a hobby horse. I enjoy prophecy as much as anybody. But if you ain't careful, you'll get so concerned about what's gonna happen a million years from now that you're not doing what you need to be doing right now. I mean, hey, I can speculate as much as anybody. And when it comes to full end time prophecy, let's just be honest, a lot of it is speculation. 
There's a whole lot of gaps in there. There's a whole lot of unknowns in there. There's a lot of things in there that he wasn't crystal clear about. And I'm not gonna spend all day every day trying to fill in the blanks when there's a world that needs to be reached with the gospel. Let's get on our face before God and get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and reach a world. That's what we need to be doing while we're waiting for him to come back. We're worried about when he's coming back and do something for him while he's come, before he gets here. I'm not knocking prophecy. I love prophecy. I've got that many books on prophecy. I preach on it sometimes. But I've sat around the table with people who spent far too much time speculating about stuff that at the end of the day is really not that important when there's a world around us dying and going to hell without God. I'd much rather talk about something that we could be doing right now to make a difference before Jesus is coming back rather than worry about what color the saddles are going to be on the horses when we come back with Jesus one day. Who cares? You know what I'm saying. Number three, while we wait, we should be occupying in productivity. In Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, I'm not going to read the parable, but he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. I like that word occupy. We use that word occupy. It's not the same as the biblical usage of the word. Occupy means somebody occupies a chair. They're sitting there. They're occupying a house. They're, they're in the house. House is occupied. Motel room's occupied. It's not the way the word is used in that, in that story. When it says occupy till I come, that word occupy means to carry on a business or to carry on the business of a banker or a trader. Just like a steward. The Old Testament steward. Abraham had a steward. You see those stewards in the Bible. They were the managers, the overseer of the finances and the business and the enterprises of a man. And their job was to make sure that they managed, make sure that they took that money and those resources and those employees and those crops and whatever it was that they had. And they make sure that they was managing it wisely in order to produce a positive outcome or income or a yield at the end of the year. That was what it was all about. That's what that word means there. Jesus at the age of 12 in Luke chapter number two, when they couldn't find him and he was missing for three days, they finally found him in the temple and they said, wait, be looking everywhere for you. Here's what Jesus said at the age of 12, wished you not that I must be about my father's business. What was he doing? He was occupying. He understood, he understood the, the he, he, he understood the picture. When this missionary was up giving his his uh, update. And he's talking about us partnering with his sending church. I leaned over to Brother Leader and I said, he gets it. He gets it. So many people don't get it. They're so tunnel vision, they don't see the big picture. Occupy till I come means I've left you here to steward my resources Get busy, get at it, get off your behind and do something to further the kingdom and the work of God. That's what it means. We got a lot of recliner Christians, front porch swing Christians, spectator Christians. Ooh, I'm for you, I'm pulling for you. Quit pulling for me and get down here in the mud and pull with me. Amen. James 5, 7 well, when I read that verse, Brother Subtle, where Jesus said, I must be about my father's business, here was my question I'm gonna ask you tonight. What are you about? Jesus at the age of 12 said, I'm about. Stay with me now, I don't fall off the turnip truck. 
Jesus looked at his, his mama and he said, I must be about my father's business. What are you about? I'm giving you time to think, think of an answer. Don't say it out loud. I'm asking you, what are you about? What are you spending your energy and time and effort and life on? And I think right here's a good place to drop in my favorite all-time quote that I look for reasons to drop this in from Dr. King. I love it. He said, I'm not afraid of being a failure. I'm afraid of being successful at something God is not interested in. I read that as a young man and it's like a dagger stuck in my heart and it's still there. I'm not worried about being a failure. But one thing I don't want to do is spend my whole life on something that has absolutely nothing to do with God's big picture. Instead of being busy doubting his return, we should be busy doubling his returns. <laughs> God give me that one in the shower. Instead of doubting his return, we ought to be doubling his returns. Whatever he's giving you, whether it was five talents, one talent, three talents, ten talents, whatever he's giving you, you need to get busy doubling it. Invest it. Don't hide it in a napkin and put it in a hole in the ground because you're scared God's going to judge you for not doing the right thing with it. Just get at it. Get after it. We take advantage. We should take advantage of every waking hour to sow and water and harvest. He left us here to steward. We should get creative in our endeavors to maximize his investment in us for his honor and glory. Listen to me, we have a limited amount of time to bear fruit. Limited amount of time. People sending me text messages all the time last few weeks, there's a food shortage coming, there's a food shortage, there's a food shortage. There's only 10 weeks, there's only eight weeks of wheat supply in the whole world, there's a food shortage. There's there's going to be a cow shortage, and there's going to be a ch chicken shortage, and there's going to be this and that. <clears throat> I don't know. I know what there is a shortage of. People stewarding. People occupying. I'm not talking about occupying the pew. I'm talking about occupying. Is everybody still with me? We don't, God help us, we can't waste a single day pursuing our own agenda. Not one day. I said we cannot waste a single day. Wake up in the morning and bust it all day long. I mean just bust it hard as we can all day and go to bed exhausted and didn't do one blessed thing to occupy. We was all about putting money in our pocket, furthering our agenda, growing our business, growing our name, our reputation, our, our, our stack of loot, buying more stuff to put in the storage shed. Buying more junk, throw in the closet, put up on the top shelf, throw in the attic. Stuff piled up in the garage. You can't even walk through the garage. Keep buying more stuff, buying more stuff. We got missionaries on the field, working jobs. <clears throat> we act like we're going to live forever. You want to tell you what we're doing? We're acting like Jesus is not coming back for a long, long, long time. And we don't know that. 
We need to get up every day and act like this is the day he's coming back and this is the day he's going to walk up to me and want to see the books. Brother Barley back there has, has, has a granite marble business doing countertops, does beautiful work, done a lot of work around here. That countertop back there in the sound booth and that welcome center and kitchen, beautiful work. I don't know anything about it. I'm a carpenter. You give me some boards and a saw, and I can do some stuff. You give me a piece of marble, I'm just going to say, wow, that's really heavy, and my back's going to hurt my back. That's the first thing I'm going to say. <laughs> but if Brother Barley was to come to me and say, Pastor Schiff, I've got to go out of town for a week, and I don't have anybody that can oversee my business, and I trust you, and I'm going to give you the keys to the shop, and I need you to oversee my business while you're gone. You're looking at somebody that'd be burning some midnight oil, to get to, to figure out what's going on. Come on now. And when he rolled out of town, one thing you would not find me doing is sitting in the front lobby in an office chair playing solitaire on the computer. I'd be back there trying to figure that business out. And I'd be trying to build a fire under every employee. I'd be calling customers. I'd try to do my best. I'd be looking at documents and plans and I would do everything that I could so that when he came back from vacation, he didn't go in the hole. Can I tell you, that's exactly what Jesus did to the church. He said, I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone for a while, but I'm coming back. Now, here's what I need you to do. I need you to reach the world. I need you to get the whole world saved. Get them saved. Go tell every creature. Are y'all getting this? And I don't want you to just witness to them. Don't just hand them a track. If he'd have just said that, that'd have been a lifetime of work right there. But I want you to get them saved, baptized, and teach them to observe all things. And I want you to be busy working in my power to do the, what I've called you to do. And that's what I want you to be doing when I come back. We just don't know when he's coming. So tell me why we got so many Christians in the hammocks, in the lawn chairs, in the front porch swings, acting like they got 40 years to do the Great Commission. We don't know how much time we've got. We need to be occupying in productivity, bringing forth fruit. Come on now. Yielding fruit. Fourthly and lastly, while we wait, we should be obeying in purification. Over and over and over again, God emphasized holiness in connection with us waiting for his return. Let me give you some Bible. 1 John 3. 1 John 3, I want you to turn over there. 1 John 3, comes right before 2 John. 1 John 3, are you ready? Put your seatbelts on, it's fixing to get real up in here. 1 John 3, verse number 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. While we wait, we should be purifying. You waiting for a punchline? That was the punchline. While we're waiting, we should be purifying ourselves. Now here's the kicker in these two verses. He said that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Is that what it says? When he splits the eastern sky and we see him and we hear the sound of that trumpet, something supernatural is going to take place and we're going to have a glorified body. 
our corruptible will put on incorruptible. We, we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. At the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We're going to be transformed immediately when he comes back. But you know what he said? Don't wait till I get here to be like me. You go ahead and start purifying yourself before I get here, even as he is pure. Is that what it says or not? That is exactly what he said. Don't wait on me to show up and give you a supernatural glorified body before you look like me. I predestinated you to be conformed to my image before I get here. Go ahead and get started on it. Is that what it says? You better believe that's what it says. So every man that hath this hope, we've been preaching about the hope all day, every man that hath this hope purifieth himself. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter number two. I'm getting, I'm getting close to being done. 2 Peter chapter number two. No, chapter three. 2 Peter three. Don't you see this? This is Bible. Preacher, I'm excited for Jesus to come back. I'm looking for his return. Wonderful. Me too. We need to be doing some things while we're waiting. Look at chapter 3. Verse number 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds. By way of remembrance. Stirred up your pure minds. Well, if you have a pure mind, it's not going to be by accident. I preached about that this morning. If you and I have a pure mind in 2022, it's going to be a full-time job. Because our mind, our carnal mind is enmity with God. Remember that? Romans 8. Our mind, our brain, your brain didn't get saved. Your brain and your mind being pure is going to be a deliberate work. A constant work. And Peter said, I'm just going to go on ahead and talk to you under the assumption that you've got a pure mind. Well, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I don't have time to read all these verses. Skip down to verse 11. Look at this. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Is that what your Bible says? Verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. We're trying to balance out this looking, this anticipation, this love for his return. Even so, come quickly, this hasting for the day and at the same time, be patient while we wait. Look at it. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to this promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwell righteous you say, preacher, that's way on out there in prophecy. That's way on out there. Stop. That's beside the point. The, hell, the heavens 
passing away with the fervent heat, all that, according to prophecy, that's on out there a ways. If I understand prophecy right. But look at the next verse. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. While we are waiting for the, the, the prophecy to un unveil and prophecy to be fulfilled and Jesus to return and all these things and, and the new heavens and the new earth and all that stuff that happens way on out there. While we're waiting, he said you need to be busy purifying yourself. So my question to you tonight is what have you purified yourself of in your anticipation for his return? Or what have you allowed him to remove from your life while you're waiting? I'm pretty sure purifying is a subtracting process. I'm pretty sure. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But I'm pretty sure when he's purging and purifying, he's removing impurities. So if we have this hope within us, and we're busy purifying ourselves. what exactly have you allowed him to take away out of your life that would demonstrate to him and to the world that you really are looking for him to come back? I'm trying not to get distracted to some of the stuff we talk about at staff meetings. Because one thing that, I, that I'm confused about, and I'm being a bit facetious, I'm really not confused, it's clear as crystal to me, but I'm being facetious. One thing that really confuses me is how come all these liberals and all these modernists have got a new definition of holiness that doesn't involve any purifying of anything anywhere ever. They can somehow or another do every single thing that was a sin when I was a kid. They can do everything that was against Scripture when I was growing up. They can do everything that every man of God that I ever had respect for that mentored me and taught me and trained me, that preached to me, that said I shouldn't do it, that I ought to quit doing it and get rid of it. Everything that they said I ought to quit doing, they can do and still be holy. Something's wrong. If there's never any purifying, if there's never anything God take, takes out of your life, if there's never any ch changes for the holier or for the more pure, you lost me. Because there ain't a day goes by that I'm not constantly looking for something else to clean up. Come on now. Is everybody all right? If we really did believe Jesus was coming back, and I mean really believed he was coming back, we got a whole bunch of cleaning up to do. Well, at least I, I feel like I do. I do. He would present to himself a glorious church. Ephesians 5. He's going to present to himself a glorious church having his spot nor wrinkle. Glorious church. I don't believe for one second that it would hurt God's feelings if we went ahead and got a jump on that. 
with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder tonight while we stand across the building, musicians are coming. I wonder tonight if maybe God spoke to your heart about something.